Monday, June 18, having a conversation concerning today's headlines and real-life challenges. I'm Tom Lamprecht, along with Pastor Harry Reeder. Stay with us as we apply a biblical worldview with gospel solutions to put the issues of today in perspective. Harry, I'd like to do a lightning round with you today. i got three different stories. First story out of the National Catholic Reporter. The Roman Catholic Diocese of Portland, Maine is withdrawing from the Maine Council of Churches in a bid to distance itself from LGBT advocacy and other stances that the church says could compromise its public moral witness. As you know, I do some talks on the Civil War, and one of the fellows that I talk about finished out his life there. Born in Brewer, Maine, he taught natural and revealed religion at Bowdoin College in Brunswick, Maine, and then became the famous Union general called the hero of Little Round Top in the Battle of Gettysburg, Joshua Chamberlain. As he finishes his life out in Portland, Maine, with a political pointed position, he was struggling where to go to church. The very church that had known the great blessings of God and the great awakening in New England, the Congregational Church, had begun to go into both liberalism but more pronounced Unitarianism. With its abandonment of historic Trinitarian Christianity, Chamberlain was not able to go to where all of the elite went to church in the first parish, so he went to the second Congregational Church in Portland, Maine. And that church remained faithful, continued to be faithful, and has eventually left the congregational denomination completely after it completely left a historic confession as a denomination, and it is now a part of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Now, the Council of Churches there in that area has decided to go the route of adopting, embracing, and normalizing what God has identified as sin. And rightly so, the Roman Catholic Church says, we will not go down that path. Well, now I turn to my compatriots within the evangelical church, whereby we claim to uphold the gospel of grace and stand in the legacy of the reformers who were willing to die for faithfulness to the word of God. Will you die not only for faithfulness to those doctrines surrounding the gospel of redemption, but will you also be faithful to the Lord God, who is not only our Redeemer, but is our Creator, and uphold the sanctity of marriage and sexuality? Let me take you to story number two out of LifeSet and Campus Reform. Kathleen Elliott, an assistant professor in the Education Foundation Department at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, wants to add an item to the current kindergarten curriculum. Along with recess and learning the ABCs, she wants little kids to fight Toxic Masculinity, in a recently published article in On the Horizon called Challenging Toxic Masculinity in Schools and Society, Elliot argues that toxic masculinity supports and is supported by gender patterns of power that perpetuate broad inequities, and schools have an important role to play in challenging these inequities. For those of our audience that think the public school system is neutral concerning world and life view, you can see very quickly it is not. Kindergarten and first grade, sometimes in contradiction to what their home and church is teaching, are being taught the tenets of the sexual revolution, including autonomy in terms of gender, that I can be whatever gender I identify, and this matter of toxic masculinity. When you look closer at the story, you find out that what the author is saying is not the perversion of masculinity, 
is the issue, but masculinity in general. Any notion of masculinity that is something distinctively different between men and women, both in who they are, how they are composed, and how they are to function in life in a well-ordered society, that there is an absolute rebellion against that, that masculinity is toxic. What is absent is any notion of toxic femininity. There will be nothing in the curriculum that says we must avoid toxic femininity because femininity, as now being described, is incapable of being toxic in its behavior in the current culture. But masculinity is incapable of not being vulnerable to the charge of toxicity. So from a Christian world and life view, we would teach masculinity, but you teach it biblically. What are the two premier tenets of biblical masculinity? Number one, men are called to be strong and courageous in embracing their responsibilities in life. Secondly, they are to be sensitive and compassionate to embrace their relationships in life. That's where the whole concept of the gentle man comes in. A man is using his God-given strengths and calling to be a protector and provider generally in life and specifically within his family and within responsibilities and relationships, not to use his power to intimidate. So do we need to deal with toxic sin in the name of masculinity? Absolutely. Is masculinity toxic? Absolutely not. We are in desperate need of a reclamation of that biblical phrase that's repeated five times. We need to understand what it means when the Bible says, act like a man. And when the Bible says, act like a man, you know, number one, there's something about manhood and there's something about living life as a man. And there's something about living life as a woman. And what is it that brings masculinity and femininity into line? One, defining it biblically. And number two, the power of the gospel. Harry, let me take you to our third and final story, a rather unusual story out of Fox News. A seemingly normal obituary takes a dark turn. The obituary was for an 80-year-old woman, Kathleen Dimlow. It first appeared in the Redwood Gazette. The obituary opens up by giving some history of the woman, how she was the mother of two children, but how she later ended up having an affair and leaving her children. The last lines of the obituary, she passed away on May 31, 2018 in Springfield and now will face judgment. She will not be missed by her children, Gina and Jay, and they understand that this world is a better place without her. Every time you're in a situation of a funeral, somebody's going to say, particularly if they're a believer, praise the Lord, he or she is in a better place. In this obituary, they said, praise the Lord, the world's a better place without them here. So an obituary became not a memorial to remember the positive things of their life, Here, the family doesn't seem to need comfort in grieving. They're just venting. But there is a hidden lesson in this I don't want our listeners to miss. The reality is we're going to give an account for every word and deed that we have done. So the Bible says that our lives will either justify our claim to saving faith in Christ, or they will reveal that we didn't have a saving faith in Christ. And all of humanity must appear before the judgment seat to give an account. While we can debate the lack of decorum, civility as to the use of an obituary and the death of someone to, quote, get even with them for all of their lifestyle violations and all of the hurts that you had received from them, 
But there's another reality. The fact is that we will all appear and all that we have done, we will stand accountable for before a God who is holy. But that also brings me to good news that God who is holy has so loved sinners like us and sinners like this woman that he has given his son to die for our sins on the cross. And when you come to Christ, you can be forgiven of all of your trespasses. I love it in Colossians when it says, He has canceled out the certificate of debt we owe to the holiness of God by bringing the judgment of our sins upon Christ on the cross. And then it says, Thus we are forgiven of all of our sins. I have a question. What will they say about you? Will there be a desire to get even? Or will there be a desire to tell people, my dad, my mom, my husband, my wife, certainly not perfect. They were a sinner saved by grace. But let me tell you, they were not only saved, they were changed. And through them, I experienced the power of God's grace upon them, in them, and through them. That's the obituary we want. Harry, on Tuesday's edition of Today in Perspective, I want to take you to a Pew Research report. Almost 7 in 10 Americans have news fatigue. What is that statistic telling us about news and the American people? We'll deal with that on Tuesday's edition of Today in Perspective. As we close out, let me remind you to download the Briarwood app. It's yours free of charge. Go to your favorite app store, type in Briarwood PCA. You'll have access to resources that will challenge your walk in the Lord Jesus Christ, audio, video, and written resources. We'll do stop by again tomorrow, Tuesday, as we continue our conversation and as we apply a biblical worldview to put the issues of today in perspective. 